This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> all right. Welcome, guys, to episode eight. Eight. eight of the Cabal cast. So we are... Back, Wode is off. It's his last week. His kid was born yesterday, two uh, days ago. Yeah, somewhere in the last two days. Somewhere in the last two days. So he'll be back with us next week. Uh, this was a pretty big week. There was a huge announcement mm -hmm. from Magic About the Future slash demise of the Pro Tour rip, as well as a modern GP and the Star City Invitational, which kind of got slammed by a bunch of weather, so there's not nearly as many results from there as we'd like. But when 100 flights get canceled, that's what happens. So... Mm -hmm. Start us off. Yep. So uh, the Star City Invitational was this past weekend, and what we have from that is a, a series of, or set of results rather, from a mixed format event, as the events on Sunday were canceled, or any events that ran from Saturday into Sunday were canceled. And we are looking at kind of a homogenized field for this event. The standard decks that people brought to... The top eight and even the top 16 are all pretty much the same, and Golgari mid-range being number one in terms of popularity. Is it Drake's and Jeskai decks kind of followed thereafter? There were two Selesnya tokens decks that did make it into the top eight. One was played by Zachary, I believe you pronounce his last name, Keeney, who was yeah. on the winning team of SEG Vegas. He played Selesnya tokens there. Mm -hmm. I do not know the difference between the list. I didn't get a chance to look. And then there was Gerard Fabiano, who did play Jeskai Control, but per his usual, he played his own version of it. Uh, it's a really sweet list. It is. He pulled out Niv-Mizzet and Expansion Explosions for some other knickknacks that allowed him to survive a little bit longer and get things done. Uh, but I don't know if I can really get or behind... Nexus. Yeah. yeah, oh, that's right, the Nexus, yeah, Nexus of Fate to just kind of go, go back to that and Karn. So he was playing yeah. those eight cards over basically Expansion Explosion and Demizit. And then on the modern side of things for these top eight players, we had two KCI decks, a Dredge deck. We had one Is It Phoenix deck, one Bant Spirits deck, and one Mono Red uh, Phoenix deck. The Phoenix deck, both Phoenix decks, I believe, were pretty much carbon copies from the week prior. The yeah. KCI decks were also very similar. The differences were mainly in the sideboard, where Austin Kyle Collins, who exited in yet another top four appearance, played things like Tormod's Crypt so he could continue to recur it, while Andrew Jessup went a little harder with Spine of Isha and go infinite with removal. Yeah. And then the only outstanding decks after that are Bant Spirits, which is, again, another carbon copy deck from weeks previous, and Gerard Fabiano on his Junt deck. And we got to watch him play against KCI and steal at least one game in the top four, uh, best of five, on the back of main deck Colagon's commands. Card's real good. Yeah, and I believe he had main deck Nihil spell bombs as well. So basically, Three. both yes. So basically, both his Jeskai deck and his Jun deck were metagame for this particular event. Yep. And. This is why these results, while important, aren't necessarily something you can kind of walk away with and say, this is the way modern looks. Yeah, don't, don't just net deck it, because, you know, I, there's, and it's funny because I am a Jun player. There's actually a ton of 
John players that are arguing over whether Fabiano's deck is legitimate or not. And people are saying, oh, it's garbage. Why are you maining Spellbomb? And people are like, no, this is a good list. It's Fabiano. Yep. Like, no, it's somewhere in between. He metagamed. Just like Shota, he metagamed for that. It's a general idea of how to play it, mm-hmm. but don't take this as, oh, Niall's Spellbomb's going to go up now because Gerard Fabiano has three in his main board. Yeah. And all the decks that we saw bubble to the top eight on both the standard and the modern side are, were extremely consistent decks. Everything is just good at its job. The last yeah. couple of rounds were just basically Dredge versus KCI for the most part, and you just got to see how consistent these decks were. And that's basically this looked like the secret to winning this event. Golgari came in at, I believe, over 10% of the field. Something ridiculous, yeah. something close to 30 and you can see that by the top eight results. It was just very consistent on the weekend. And most of the builds were pretty much the same. People are moving to Midnight Reaper in the main so that they mm-hmm. can deal with sweepers and various pieces of removal and just keep the cards flowing. And if you watch any part of the event that weekend, you can just see why it's as good as it is. Yeah. And on the flip side, when we look at the GP, the yeah, GP Portland is modern, the top eight is a little more spread out but things do kind of fall in line. We have two Is It Phoenix decks in the top eight instead of one Is It and one Mono Red. Mono Red. And they're extremely similar lists, again, differing mainly in the sideboard. But one of the interesting things is that both of these decks are playing an Al- at least one copy of Alpine Moon, a card that on the same weekend was bemoaned by people in the Star City event. A number of yeah. people. There were a number of interviews asking about, well, why Blood Moon, no Blood Moon, why no Alpine Moon? And everybody there bemoaned the card, speaking specifically to that event, while at the GP, this card sh- showed up as three total in the top eight. Yeah. We had a Storm deck, a Golgari mid-range deck, which is basically just Jund with Kalidus and Assassin's Trophy, no abrupt No red. Yep, no no red and no abrupt decays. Yeah, we had an elves deck, which is really interesting to see, playing Beast Whisperer and Elvish Clan Caller. Mm-hmm. And you can actually find a copy of this deck, I believe, the exact seventy-five in one of the modern events from Saturday on Star City site. Yep. And then the eventual uh, winner, Tyler Putnam, played Grixis Death Shadow with two Faithless Looting in the main, which was pretty interesting to see. And the standout deck of this top eight was Yuta Takahashi finally making making it with a blue-black control deck. You can call it fairies if you want. There were four spell stutter sprite and four bitter blossoms in the main to go along with one Vendillion click in the sideboard. Otherwise, yeah. it was three Liliana of the Veil and three Jace the Mind Sculptor. It's just a pure tempo deck. It's blue-black control tempo, whatever you want to call it. It's... I guess it has fairies, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, As, Unity. Yeah. Uh, actually, I skipped over this one. I don't know how. The Abzan Evolution deck that made the oh, top yes. eight. The, yeah. o- the only other combo deck besides Storm in the top eight in a field of what looked like basically mid-range decks. Yeah. You can consider Elves to be combo if you want, but this was a Shaman of the Pack build, so it's going to take a little while to get there, and then it'll just blow you out with the Shaman. But this Abzan Evolution deck is basically the Counters Company deck from almost a year ago, but there's no collected company. It still has the Devoted Druid and Vizier of the Remedies combo in it, Mm -hmm. uh, sporting four Court of Calling. But instead, it plays four uh, Evolution and four Postmortem Lunge, which is kind of interesting. And Postmortem Lunge is a hell of a card, 
because it allows you to reanimate at sorcery speed, and if you Eldritch Evolution away that creature, it just goes back to your graveyard. There yep. were no instances of Undying that I saw in the deck or Persist, so there's no real value to any of those creatures besides the Evolution. But it definitely looked like it gave the deck some staying power. Yeah. And if you look at the mana base, it's very much like the Birthing Pod decks of old, except they moved the Gavity Townships into the creature slot with two Shalai. Yeah. Otherwise, this deck is very reminiscent of Pod and pretty much exactly the Counters Company deck, but without Company. Yeah. And, and I, I th think Shalai is really what pushed it over the edge. I think so, Being too. Being able to actually have it as a threat rather yeah. than just a land that sits there. Yeah, and with as much ramp as this deck had, getting it out on turn three being able to play that creature is fairly powerful against a field that basically otherwise is mid-range. You look yeah. at the top eight, and I think this is more this is more a little in line with what the modern metagame looks like as a whole than the Star City event. You know, is it is it Phoenix decks in modern can kind of go off on turn three with Monomorphos, but even at that point, the Abzan Evolution deck can just have you dead. Yeah. You know. And yeah, this is a pretty interesting event looking at uh, looking at the results going into 2019 with, I believe, no modern GP slated for the first few months. We just have a PT and then a bunch of standard because we go straight into uh, RAV round two. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So we're definitely going to see an uptick on some of the interesting knickknacks from the GP, uh, most likely in the elves category, and then again in Lily Last Hope, who showed up for a second time in the GP. Yeah, I think... Uh... You may incidentally, because it seems like the Coco lists and, you know, Abzan Evolution, they're, they're getting more popular. Yeah. Uh, same with Is It Phoenix. So I think you may see stuff like Grafdigger's Cage start to tick up, not by too much because it's been printed a million times. Mm -hmm. But that, that'd be something I'd expect to see head up a little bit more now that, you know, the other sideboard cards that aren't Leyline of the Void have been reprinted looking at you, Engineered Explosives. Yeah. And uh, have just started crashing in yeah. price. So yeah, but it was a kind of a quiet weekend overall in regards to results and most likely their impact on finance. Like I said, it's just going to be some of the some of those corner case things, cards people dusted off like Kalidus and Lily of the Last Hope. It basically keeps going up in popularity. Yeah, and that brings brings us back around to our main topic, which is the announcement that we had. Oh boy. So, obviously, everyone's examined it, dissected it since it was made. Big thing here, which we actually touched on in one of our first episodes, was the commitment to esports. Mm -hmm. And I said then, I didn't see it happening. I was wrong. Uh, well, I was wrong that they're, they're going to push it anyways. We'll see how successful it is. Although, with $10 million in prize support, they're probably going to be pretty successful, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, the big things here, Pro Tours are gone, so there's no Pro Tours anymore. There's now Mythic Championships, mm -hmm. which you can automatically qualify for by being one of the 32 paid players, and maybe the new PPTQ system that they were making for the Pro Tour that's now gone after they changed the way the Pro Club works. It's kind of a nightmare to deal with, but one of the big impacts here is if, in fact the field is going to be smaller than it was for mm -hmm. these Mythic Championships. If we're not going to have five, 600 people up there, if we're only going to have 200, the sample size for what's relevant in any given format 
changes drastically. Yep. So you're not going to have a 500-man field with 30% Jeskai. You'll have a 200-person field with 30% Jeskai that's going to be way more skewed because, you know, you've got 60 people rather than 150. And percentage-wise, it works out, but the skill level is going to be so much higher that you're not going to be able to luck-sack through limited. Uh, mm-hmm. The last Pro Tour was decided on limited. Yeah, basically. Like that, that top eight was who won limited, and that's not necessarily going to be the case anymore, uh, depending how they do it. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because it could be archetypes that were birthed in Pro Tour's past just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Because rather than having Sam Black and five other people play this deck because they qualified on their Hall of Fame status, well, they didn't win any of the qualifiers, so that deck never sees the light of day. Yeah. And with 32 people, or 200 people, whatever they're going to do for these events, it's a smaller field. There's no more team series, so the amount of people playtesting together could most likely shrink, and you're going to lose a lot of that hidden tech that might spike the Pro Tour and then spike in value coming out of it. Yeah, so I, I think this makes the 5-0 lists a lot more important. Yeah, that's understandable. And the other interesting thing is that they still haven't decided whether these are going to be paper or arena yet. And if they are arena, does that mean people have to play with what they have, or will WotC feed them cards like they do the coverage accounts when you watch Moto streamers and arena streamers? And if they yeah. are fed the cards, that means everybody has access to everything. So people who made it there based on uh, skill, they spiked something and made it there, they might not be sponsored, have access to everything. So that can also homogenize the field because when everybody is super, nobody is. Yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting. I think the the biggest thing here, you know, I I think Wizards needs to figure out what it's doing Mm -hmm. because it seems like there's two separate departments in Wizards in charge of competitive play. Yep. And this one says, we're going to listen to the pros and change the pro tour. We change the pro club. We change how long you keep your rank. And then this department says, we're getting rid of the pro tour. We have mythic championships. The pro club is gone. Mm-hmm. At the end of this season, you're out of luck. Yeah. Sorry you wasted all that time qualifying. It's gone now. Oh, also, sorry if you're not one of the 32 best players in the world. We're not paying you to show up to our events anymore. Yeah, it, that's harsh. It, this, the last couple of years definitely felt like a company that was still in startup mode where they're just making decisions and firing on them without a whole lot of internal information gathering or even external information gathering. And It's got to be infinitely frustrating as a pro player. You know, Somebody who makes their livelihood off of this game, who makes some... Well... You know, somebody you can expect to be on every Pro Tour, yeah. you know, is going to make some portion of their yearly income based on that. Exactly, you know. Jerry. Yep. Well, what do you think of your letter now, Jerry? Uh, Um, He's doing Star City coverage now, so... I know. It's really interesting that that was timed, like, right when this announcement was made. Yeah. A year and change after he left R&D, doesn't do a whole lot on the Invitational circuit, and then wins a Pro Tour... (laughs) Yeah, and then writes this letter about why Wizards needs to publicize their events better and then join Star City, yeah. who admittedly does a damn good job of publicizing their events. Yeah, and there's also ways to qualify now through additional 
uh, tournaments basically using a lot, uh, a fair amount of Star City terminology to identify those events. So we could yeah. go back to seeing people being able to qualify for uh, Mythic Championships through the Star City Invitational like there was for a very small period of time. It must have been maybe six months, so two Pro Tours worth. Yeah, People were able to qualify from the TCG player 10K or 50K, whatever they hold yeah. out there. And, and the Star City Invitational. On the Envy, yeah. So we might go back to seeing uh, a wider net cast to bring in players like this. I think, you know, to take an analogy from sports, because, you know, I'm a football guy, uh, doing something like that definitely makes your scouting pipeline self-sufficient. It builds itself. You don't have to worry about building personalities then. The people just make themselves. I would like to see them go in that direction. Mm Mm-hmm. Because then there's more coverage for smaller events, which exposes more cards, yeah. which means more money on more cards. Yeah. You know, Wizards doesn't have to expose the cards in their game because that's handled by the secondary market. They need to expose their tournament series. And yep. you know, that's what their marketing department can effectively turn to now. We existed in the Planeswalker era for a bit where that's what the game became. You know, from Lorwyn onward, it was about being a planeswalker while you play the game. Now it's about being a player, be it a tournament yeah. player or a casual and invisible, so to speak. The game is more about the player, the tournament, and bringing in those people to the game and making them feel welcomed yeah. and involved with a better spectator sport, basically. Yeah, and I think Arena, you know, I'll eat my hat on this one. Uh, Arena actually worked out. Granted, you know, Coca is a thing. A correlation is not equal causation. But yeah. there is a correlation between Arena's success and viewership of Pro Tours, GPs, attendance at pre-releases that we've seen. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely helped the game. That's huge. Still don't like it. it but, you know. Yeah, it's... It, it it was good. My my main thing is again, and like you said, if you if you qualify and you just have you know open access, you're one of the sponsored players. Great, but you're going to be at an advantage holding your position to someone who doesn't have that sponsorship mm-hmm. because they have to grind out those cards. Yeah. But speaking of arena, while that product is soaring, the other virtual product was tanking. Real bad. Yeah. So. In the middle of last week, I believe the day before the announcement, we had an article go up on Channel Fireball about the death of Moto. The rise of Arena is the death knell for Moto, which crashed the Moto economy. Basically, the entire... It started with Fetchlands, and it just kind of rippled from there. And then Card Hoarder said they were going to stop buying Moto collections for the time being due to volatility in the market. Yep. And then the announcement hit. It's almost like Channel Fireball knew an announcement was coming and published an article. Who knew? Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. It's like it all works out for them in the end. Yeah. I, You know, it's... And the thing that is really unfortunate is that if Moto goes away, I think we can basically acknowledge that Legacy is dead. That, that was 
Moto was where the innovation happened. That's yep. where those cards maintain their value because that's where the exposure was. Mm -hmm. These are the decks you should be building. These are the decks that are good on Moto. Yep. UC is worth money because Grixis Delver is doing so well on Moto. Yep. Well, without that exposure, all of a sudden, UC isn't ever hit $600. No. It's we, lucky to hit 400 We go back to the heydays of Legacy and Vintage where people in the U.S. are waiting on results from Bazaar of Moxen over yeah. in Europe and the MKM series and because that's where Legacy is played when it's yeah. not played on Moto. Japan a little bit now, very much yeah. more so than uh, the U.S. aside from the Star City Circuit. And sure, some stores hold weekly Legacy events you know, in Northern California, in Ohio, in Washington yeah. State, but n not nearly as often and with as many players as they have in Europe. Yeah. And not that you know this means those cards necessarily crash in value, but the demands, if this happens, which honestly I think it's going to, mm -hmm. uh, when it happens, those prices are going to start to drop. It's it's not going to be sudden. It's going to be gradual. Yeah, and it's going to be great for the collectors, but the players, if you know, Moto goes the way of the Dota. Which, granted, uh, you know, before they said we're abandoning Moto for Arena, they did say we're not abandoning Moto. We're still going to do the online championship series whatever wizards so we have presumably a year left but that may be it yeah and after that year if moto goes away legacy congrats wizards you got your wish is finally dead and you could ignore the reserve list forever yep and popper as well they can actually yeah. uh start moving cards around a little more or less aggressively because they no longer have to worry about that format yeah, that's they, true too. They've definitely atoned for some sins recently. I think it was Peregrine Drake. They yeah. abandoned Popper because they shifted it down. I as soon as that was spoiled, the comment I'm like, you guys should just ban this because you have a banned announcement before the set release. You just need to ban it beforehand. Yeah. Nope. We got we got two months with it. Yeah. And before we continue uh, on with the rest of the cast and move away from the topic of the announcement, tucked away within the announcement was another announcement about another format coming to Arena, which is basically going to be everything that Arena can handle in terms of standard, but with no dedicated start point yet. So we know yeah. Arena has at least Kaladesh. That's what I thought. It's either Shadows or Kaladesh. Somewhere in there is where the card files in the for the game itself actually begin. Yeah. And this is the, the postmodern format that we talked about last week or the week before, and we've heard some rumblings about. There's been no official announcement about it, whether it'll be really supported outside of Arena or even really inside Arena as less than... Uh, is it Casual a daily? format or something, yeah. Yeah, the, one of the rotating events in Arena. Yeah. But this does have some ramifications if this becomes a paper format. Tireless Tracker. If they start, open wealth. Yeah, if they start yeah. at Shadows. Yeah. If they start, Otherwise, Spire Bluff, those Fastlands are suddenly... They could reach Blackleaf Cliff's prices. Yeah, the, this is a, a very important announcement to look for. I, I don't know when it's supposed to be coming because they haven't announced that announcement yet. They just announced the announcement to the announcement. Yeah, they, they haven't announced the announcement date of the announcement in the announcement. Correct. So you got to... You know, you can look at cards as saying, all right, what's in 
Modern, what's being played, Tireless Tracker, uh, Eldridge Evolution, Duskwatch Recruiter, uh, Walking Caligus. Ballista. Yeah. Ballista. And, and then... The Lance. Yep, and you can look at the other side of it, which was, okay, what was banned in the standard formats, and should I be picking those up? Because they are cheap. Smuggler's Copter. Emrakul. Rampaging Ferocidon. Yeah. Uh, Aetherworks Marvel, which wasn't banned, but should have been. Which is an EDH card, so that one kind of doubles up. Yeah, true, yeah. Uh, uh, Sahili. She wasn't banned, yeah. the cat was, but Sahili does more than the cat. Yeah. Surprisingly. Sahili can exist without the cat. The cat doesn't do a whole lot without Sahili. Yeah. Uh, it's and, not Resto. No. And so th this is definitely uh, a time where you can begin to, s to look at a risk-reward. Do you want to move in on a lot of these cards that are unnecessarily cheap because they were banned out of standard and they have no real appeal? Is that worth the risk for whatever the reward is? Or would you rather play it safe and pick up on cards that are kind of cheap but do see modern play and will continue to exist as long as the modern format does? And yeah. cards like Kalidus, which shows up every now and again, Tireless Tracker, which is pretty much a dedicated sideboard slot for green decks that aren't jund and a main deck slot for most decks that are jund. I believe adds yeah. in mid-range when that deck shows up. That has tracker. Rock has tracker in the main, yeah. Yeah, uh, and tracker goes all the way on to Legacy. Yeah. So. Rip. Yeah. So this, this announcement, the primary announcement, definitely ripples and will for a fairly long time, probably up until the first Pro Tour of 2019. Yeah, you know we're gonna keep seeing these little shockwaves because we're still waiting on what the PTQ system is going to look like. We haven't gotten that information. Yeah, they said the first two remain the same, but after that, TBD. Yeah. So. So we we have. Yes. Yeah, and there there's a ton of conjecture floating around right now. No, you know nobody's really certain about what's what's going to happen. So this is a point in time where you really need to start making decisions on your own, especially from a financial perspective, and and think about. You know, what do you want to do? If you're a moto player, do you want to stay on moto? Do you want to try and cash out some, in some way, shape, or form? Even under depressed ticket prices right now and maybe move into arena. You know, if you're a, a paper legacy grinder or a paper modern grinder, do you think those formats are going to continue to exist in paper or maybe eventually they will support modern on arena? And really I just kind so. of get down to brass tacks and see... Yeah. You know, what do you want to do? And we'll be here to, to guide you as we find out more about what's happening. But right now, yeah. we just have a lot of shakeup. Yeah, for sure. So. So. Picks. Yeah, this is, you know, we've come to the end of the cast, basically, with picks on the way out the door. So, uh, coming to this morning, I was thinking about Berserk, uh, CN2. Because Infect was on the uptick, but it hasn't put up results in about two weeks, and it ate... Uh, yeah, the exiled foils like twelve dollars. Otherwise, it's nine to ten. But yeah. after digging in this morning, uh, I'm gonna go with experimental frenzy, and not because it's tanked in price because of standard. Uh, the affinity list. Did yes, you see the, the affinity the list. Affinity list. So good. Yeah. So there is a team that went is it nine and three or ten and three? Yeah. And I think their affinity player lost to hardness scales. Yeah, that was his only loss. Was no, no, and once to uh, blue white miracles, but they won yeah. that round. 
Yeah, Maybe. his his team won that round. He was losing game two of two yeah. when his team won. So yeah. yeah, and Experimental Frenzy just kind of makes the deck function like it did in Old Standard. Uh, right now, the camp on Affinity yeah. itself is divided whether or not it's a good deck in this format as it stands, you know, old school Affinity, or if Hardened Scales is the way to go because it's more explosive and can win faster. But Experimental Frenzy just allows you to go insane off the top. You basically pull the Masters of Ethereum out. That's the three slots for three Experimental Frenzy. You just straight slam, swap. Yeah, slam those in and you're good to go. Nothing else needs to change. And between uh, that, the depressed price in standard with both Rakdos and Gruul coming up and the ability to just play a lot of cheap creatures off the top, I think there's going to be revigorated interest in standard. And casual play, this is going to be a long-term gain. Yeah. Getting in right now, the market <clears throat> price is about two and a quarter. The average is about three. So, you know, once the first 20 or so are bought out at two and a quarter, it goes up 75 cents. I think this is a fine buy up until $5. And then it just, it holds on and you can get out in the short term. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I read that event report and I was like, man, this looks absolutely insane. Yeah. A couple of buddies of mine that play Affinity, I was like, hey, did you see this list yet? Looks ridiculous. And, you know, his match report, it was really interesting because he said the he would go up to four Experimental Frenzies and he would probably cut Etch Champion. So yeah. that was the worst, by far, card in his deck. Um, but yeah, I, I think I agree with Frenzy. That's a really good pick. Uh, mine is somewhat ties into what we talked about, actually, with the uh, post-standard as well as just general supply. Uh Pack, foil, Rashmi, Crafter of Eternities. So, right now, the pack foils are like two to five bucks on the low end. I could easily see this in six months to a year being a $10 foil. Okay. Uh, so, oh, yeah, there's one that. thing EDH players love foils. Mm -hmm. They hate, everyone hates date stamps, so don't bother with pre release, whatever. If there's one card in your deck you're going to foil, it's Rashmi. It's the type of card that in a post-standard environment, if it includes Kaladesh, mm -hmm. is one or two cards away from being absolutely busted in half. Yeah. Free spells, free draws, elves exist. We have Beast Whisperer, which lets you draw cards. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, it is an elf. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. So there's plenty of opportunity there for those things to sort of snowball into something bigger. I'm up to about 30 or so of them myself. Uh, I think it's a fine buy, much like Experimental Frenzy, up until about $5. Yeah. It's a bit more long-term than what Frenzy's looking like, obviously. But I I think it's something that I am comfortable going in on if for nothing else in EDH demand. Yeah. But if post-standard becomes a format, or post-modern, whatever you want to call it, it could be busted clean in half pretty easily in that metagame. Yeah, I'm actually uh, kind of impressed at how little the non-foil costs. Yeah, it's like 50 cents. Yeah. It's real cheap. Uh, the non-foils are also something to consider getting. The main reason I say not to is because it's from a masterpiece set, so the non-foil prices are insanely depressed on every single card. Yeah. Because people just open that set into the ground. At least with the pack foils and the pre-release foils... We've got a little bit more scarcity there. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's going to happen. But if we get, you know, a postmodern elf ball deck, Rashmi's an auto include as yeah. a four of, even if she is a legend. 
No, absolutely. You know, it goes really well in a team or a deck with Experimental Frenzy. You just cast oh. your first spell off the top, and you can see the next spell. You just yeah. chain spells. It's great. Yeah. Pretty good, right? Okay, so... Combo. Coming in for the next couple weeks, uh, we're actually going to be getting into the nitty-gritty of the graded conversation mm -hmm. we started last week, uh, as well as touching on just some general strategies, not just for graded cards, but what to do with your bulk, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, just general investment tips while we're in the slow news cycle season. Of course, if some announcement happens about an announcement date for an announcement to announce an announcement... We'll be there. We'll be there. Yeah. But... That's it. You can find me at Thirsty Sizzler on Twitter. I am Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. And Reddit if you're in the uh, MTG Finance subreddit. And then you can find us at MTG Ballcast on Twitter. Uh, we will answer questions at we get them, as we get them, and a Patreon announcement will be coming this week. Yep. So. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. See ya. <laughs>